When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. (laughs) We've already got laughing because it's going to be a fun day. It's going to be such a fun day. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. How's it going? Oh, you know, it's great because we are freaking in the room, in the virtual room, you know, on the online uh, with the fabulous, delightful, uh, wicked (laughs) Jersey ghouls. We got Marissa and Jackie. Hello. Hello. Hi, guys. Oh, my God. Hi, friends. Hi, friends. So excited. Hi, gays. No, they're not gays, but they they can be if they would like to be. We're the gay gay straight alliance. Right? Yes. We are a GSA. That would be the title of this episode. We are a GSA. Um, (laughs) That that would be a great update for, I guess, the Fear Street books or, you know. Oh, my God. Fear Street GSA. I'd be so here for that one. That'd be the first Fear Street book I'd ever buy. <laughs> uh, well, we are so, so, so excited to have you both here today. And yes, we are. We are doing a, uh, a, a celebration, whatever you want to call it, of Fear Street, of the legacy of R.L. Stein, of, you know, young adult horror. It's going to be a fun, fun chat. But before we get into all that, like, what's been going on? Uh Jackie, you got a brand new podcast that just came out, uh, or you're two episodes in, right? The new the new episode is out now, and you can find that linked in the comments or in the uh, show notes, dear dear listener. Uh, the list we missed. T- tell us a little bit about that. So the list we missed started. It's kind of a joke, and if you listen to Jersey Ghouls, you will hear that where Marissa is constantly uh, shaming me for movies I haven't seen because I. Pretty much, I just, I keep watching the same thing. I have a pretty small bubble of movies I watch. And thanks to Jersey Ghouls and, and other friends' podcasts, such as, as Fright School, <laughs> I've expanded. I have absolutely expanded, and I'm starting to see more and more. So I've wanted to do something where I'm able to expand my horizons outside of the realm of horror movies, 
and a very good friend of mine, AJ, uh, who has been on our show a couple times. We scare him with the Conjuring movies. Uh, he has really gotten the, you know, the bug for podcasts. So he had said, let's do a podcast together. And we kind of went back and forth on a couple different ideas. And we finally nailed it down to, we realized that both of us just kind of keep watching the same things. And there is a world of movies, like very blockbustery, just cult classic, amazing, famous movies that neither one of us have seen because he just keeps watching the Lego movie and I'll watch Con Air again. Like that's just kind of <laughs> over and over again. So yeah, so our show is called The List We Missed because the concept is when someone recommends a movie to you and you're like, great, I'll put it on the list. And you know in your heart that you're never actually going to like watch those. Well, okay, so we're you know going to eat crow and now we're going to start watching the movies on the list. So uh, we've got right now monthly episodes. We're getting really, you know, getting ourselves acclimated. Uh, we would like to do more. But at this point, we're the second Sunday of every month. Um, we are putting out episodes. So far, we've got two episodes out. Our first episode was on 1979's Mad Max. And then our newest episode is on the 2019 Knives Out. So it's, it's yeah, no, we I know we hadn't seen it. It's ridiculous. But, uh, but yeah, so we, we very highly encourage everybody to join us on social media, join the conversation. And Give us suggestions because you might think this is a ridiculous movie to suggest. I can't believe I would even suggest this. I'm sure they've seen it. We probably haven't seen it. So please come to Instagram, come to Facebook. It's the list we miss podcast on both of those platforms and give us movies to watch. I I love that idea. And I, 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 I can't uh, empathize with Marissa at all. What that feels like to to have a to have a guest or to have a co-host that has not seen anything. I don't know what that is like at all. Shut up, Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I I I completely understand, Jackie, what you're going through, right. and I actually haven't seen Mad Max, so I'll be. I'm gonna have to now. This will be. Uh, this will also be the list I missed too. So I'll just follow along as well, um, and and we'll we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I haven't seen Mad. Ma I mean, like that's the thing is that when you're when you're like in culture, when you know things about stuff. So like you know, I know I know what that is, but I don't know what it is. I've never seen it. So that's how I felt about uh, Beetlejuice for a long time. It's like, I know it's a thing. And in fact, I watched the Beetlejuice animated show before I did the actual, what it's based on. Um, and so glad that I jumped that because the, the original so, so fun. Yeah, initially I was like all indignant that you said that I shame and bully you, but then I was like, nah, accurate. I do. I do shame and bully you for every all of with, these movies. And I, it's, it's shame and bullying with absolute love. That You know what? It's the kind of shame and bullying that like only best friends can do to each other. That's right. It's like really like no, like somebody, if somebody really was like, what the absolute fuck is wrong with you? With like just such venom, they would probably get smacked. <laughs> Marissa does it, and I'm just like, I know, I know, I know. I, know, I ask you what I the actual think. fuck is wrong with you pretty much daily, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We're still trying um, to figure it out. We're still trying to figure it out. I just, uh, I'm nervous. Sentiment I can't empathize with at all with you know co host constantly. What the fuck is wrong? Yeah. With you? <laughs> Go ahead, Poor Marissa. Joe. Poor Joe. Shots fired. Um, 
It's true. It's true. <laughs> Joe, I think of the two of us, I'm way bigger bully. So don't worry about it. I think you're so much nicer as a, as a co-host and partner. Um, I truly oh am. It's for my sanity. He worries. He's just like, you know, it's just that we have that familiarity that he can go like, what the fuck is going on, dude? Like, check in somewhere. Seriously, get some help. <laughs> I can't wait to start traveling again with Joshua because um, I can pretend like I don't know him when he says things out loud about the people around us who are working on the plane um i just crawl out of my skin because it's like don't be <laughs> it's like, it's like they do have ears joshua they can hear us <laughs> well i'm nice to i'm nice to service people i'm not nice to fellow passengers i'm not one of those assholes i i weigh i over tip i am super nice to everybody in the service industry but other passengers of planes they need to fucking get it together they just need reminders they're not the only person on the plane, uh, as as do I on occasion, I guess, as well. <laughs> Anyways, Marissa, sorry, you keep getting cut off. Like, No, I'm fine. Oh, my gosh. Um, no, I, I just agree with all of that. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> I just hope that you uh, treat Knives Out with the uh, respect it deserves in your latest episode, Jackie. I'm, I'm nervous to listen because I love that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I enjoyed Knives Out as well. It's it, that's and one of those bonkers. Like I love like um, uh, what's that uh, murder on the Orient Express. Like I like those kind of like Agatha Christie vibes of, you know, novels, Ellery Query, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but uh Marissa, so we got, uh, you know, Jackie's got her new podcast. You also have, you know, big work on the horizon as the, uh, you know, one of the producers of the Renegade Film Festival, formerly the Women in Horror Festival, right? And it changed. Yep. Yeah, so chat with us about that because, uh, uh, spoiler alert, Fright School listeners, we, Joe and I will definitely be attending. We are making our plans to come and see all the great films and all the things you have planned. Uh, so, so, so stoked. So yeah, tell, tell us about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. So we did recently rebrand. We were the Women in Horror Film Festival for about four years and we kept getting a lot of requests from other voices in the, in the horror genre who were like, Hey, we love this thing. We love the vibe there. Like, can we, can we participate? So we realized that with everything going on, it only made sense to kind of blast open the doors. And now we are happy to announce that we are celebrating and honoring all marginalized voices in horror. So it's no, no more just women. It's also women and LGBTQIA plus populations by anybody really who feels like they're on the outskirts of the horror genre. Um, it, in fact, it downright delights me to say no to uh, straight white males because <laughs> they are very, very offended by what we do. And that just to me means I'm doing something right. So myself and uh, Vanessa Wright, our director slash founder of the festival yeah. have been, you know, really excited to blow open the doors this year. And, and Fright School listeners, if you're so inclined, the two gentlemen you see in front of you are going to be hosting our freaky Q&A with the cast and crew. Um, if I have all my ways, my evil ways. Um, and <laughs> I also, I'm planning on some really exciting panels. We have so many awesome films. You guys are actually yeah. both guest, guest jurors this year, which I hope is not is providing a fun experience for you. Um, oh, it's amazing. It's so, I feel like I'm getting this, like, peek behind the curtain at, like, the future of horror. Like, who's going to be making, you know, who's going to be shaping this genre, you know, over the next decade or, or two or longer, you know, especially with the young voices. Like you just announced a, like a teen, like a, a, a children, not children, but like a, yeah, like a student a, film, a young filmmaker challenge. And that, that's like super, super exciting. So yeah, no, I'm loving it. I'm loving seeing the movies and 
Yeah. 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 It's wonderful. We're so, we're so thankful. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's a mixed bag, you know, being a judge and, and I, I absolutely adore, I tend to stick more to screenplays just because I love reading them and kind of bringing them to life in my own mind, but it's been really cool to watch some people evolve from our festival into people who are making it in the industry. And they just like, it's funny because they just stick out so clearly. Their voices are so unique and so interesting that like when they do the next thing, we're like, yep, we do. And it's wonderful. They circle back and they support the festival and it's been such a cool ride so far um and i'm beyond excited i I have a funny story about the student films and i'm gonna call out the people who did it real quick but um (laughs) people keep older white males continue to keep trying to enter as teen 17 and under category because it's free this year so we were like why do you guys yeah we've caught a few sneaky little snooks trying to get in and we're like you're 60 and you're not a a kid and nor are you a marginalized person so you're out um but it's funny because we it's just it's funny to see how the evolution is kind of sitting with the industry we've gotten so much support we have um huge names coming out we have room org is uh sponsoring and, and helping us out the faculty of horror podcast will be there fangoria's uh shutter all these really big uh organizations are really standing behind our cause which is amazing so yeah yeah. of course um our podcast will have a if uh, a special vip area because i'm not playing my podcast get treated like they deserve to be number one (laughs) vip (laughs) well it's gonna be fun regardless just to see this uh you know uh again like the evolution of horror like what's you know what what are people thinking uh, that don't have multi-billion you know million dollar budgets behind them and you know big studios so uh, i think it's great and i think it's very very smart for the big studio you know for those publications and all to come and be you know looking at like yeah who, who these people are so it's super exciting i'm just excited for you both i'm excited for everybody i'm just like happy that the world is still here we survived maybe uh an apocalypse i know we're in that 28 uh weeks later phase right now you know where it's like we thought we beat it and now like you know that person with the little eye stain is gonna get in and (laughs) give it back to everybody everybody. We'll, but but we'll see. But yeah, it's super exciting. So well, yeah, I'm so glad that you both are are here. I'm glad that you are keeping creative and 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 doing you know cool shit. It's just it's just such yeah. You're just such fun people to know. So oh, right back at you. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's let's get into our our episode today. So yes, we are chatting about Fear Street about R.L. Stein. And I kind of want to start, uh, Jackie, with you, obviously, because we, I know you have been, like, on a quest to, like, collect, like, all of the Fear Street books or, like, the original run or, like, just just talk to us about Fear Street. So I have been an avid Fear Street collector for many, many years. Um, I... I actually still have a... Well, the collection started because I found a handful of the books that I originally had growing up. I was, I was one of those like walk into the scholastic book fair at school with like five bucks with the hopes of getting a couple of fear street books and a Jonathan Brandis poster. Like that was my, like that was my jam on scholastic <laughs> book fair day, uh-huh. you know? All right. So I, oh, I know. Right? Yeah. I, and so a bookmark. A, yeah, a couple. So, like, <laughs> men, like, you know, I want to say, like, I, I you say stole couple, those. No, I'm kidding. That <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not advocating for that. <laughs> no, I, I say a couple years ago, but I realize now it's been like more like 10, 15 years ago because it was when I was moving into my first apartment, which blows my mind that that was 2009, and that was a long time ago. 
uh, that I, but during that time, going through boxes, packing stuff, I found about 10 Fear Street books. And I couldn't believe I still had them. And I read through them in like a day because they're not long and you can easily do that. Yeah. And I was like, these, these were amazing. I love them. I've always been a nostalgia junkie. So for me, I was like, I want to get all of the Fear Street books that I read when I was a kid. So my quest has been, for many years, uh, the OG series. Like starting in, well, actually starting with before even Fear Street. Because there was a point, uh, a point, uh, there was a time when R.L. Stein was writing for Point Horror, which was a scholastic publication and it wasn't just him it was it was him it was um christopher pike and Didn't caroline cooney i think is one of them or is that you know what i'm gonna just was diane um what was her name diane co diane diane ho ho, ho. Diane, diane ho, ho caroline cooney so it was young uh ya writers writing this point horror and it, it wasn't necessarily a series like Fear Street where everything was, you know, all in the same universe, but it was still very cool. I remember very specifically The Boyfriend and The Girlfriend were two R.L. Stein books. Those actually I recently got on eBay. I was very excited. Um, but anyway, my personal collection has been the OG series, which is the original series starting in 1989 that went until the late 90s, which is about... 50, I want to, let me look, I think it's, yeah, it's 51, books. Bo- 51, 51 books in the original, in the original run. series, yeah. plus the cheerleader saga, plus yeah. all of the super chillers and the fear street saga. Um, pretty much everything that happened between 89 and about like 98 is, is the original series that I'm collecting. I, I was on a tear. I have more than half of all of those books Wow! and slowly but surely have been buying them up. I've always checked, you know, every Goodwill I go to, every used bookstore I go to, it's always the first thing I find. Um, and you're looking and, for like the original prints, not like the reprints, correct. not the yeah, new, I don't, you're looking like, for yeah, those. I don't like, I don't want the ones that have the new covers on them. It doesn't have to necessarily be first edition, but as long as it is one of the older kind of almost pulp horror cover style, yeah. um, those are the ones I like. Uh, and everything was going great. Um, I found a lot of websites that connect you with independent bookstores and other thrift bookstores. Um, and then Netflix decided to announce this trilogy and they uh, completely fucked everything up because now people think that a single Fear Street book is worth anywhere from 25 to 45 to I have seen the audacity of $400 <laughs> for a single book. Quite frankly, with my Ooh. current collection, if we're basing it on that, Marissa, I will put both of your kids through school Pay off your mortgage and mine because like the prices, like it has gotten so inflated because of this Netflix series, which part of me is like, yay, like bring people into the nostalgia. Like it's all good times. But on the other half, it's like, I'm not paying 20 bucks for a book that at best is worth 10. Like at absolute best is worth 10. Like for the super chillers, but Girl, like she- just, Girls, like you heard it here. Things? Aunt Jackie's paying for college. Don't worry. <laughs> like, You'll be fine. Is it's not worth. I, I mean, seriously, I, the the very first book in the series is called The New Girl, yeah. and I have I have that one. I have a 
first edition New Girl. What I What was the price point? Because I have like one of my R.L. Stein books, uh, Halloween Night, and it was three fifty when at least when this version. Well, right. What was the cost on those original? So on these in nineteen eighty nine. In nineteen eighty nine, I think it was three ninety nine. Let me look in the back. Yeah. yeah these these books, all of them, like had the little order. Remember when books had yes. the little order in the back? <laughs> Yeah. Um, R.L. Stein books were four dollars. They were four dollars a piece, and quite frankly, it like when I in the past probably year I've really bulked up my collection. The average price is anywhere from five to six dollars, and yeah. I think that's absolutely one hundred percent fair for a book that was published in nineteen ninety two. Especially when you have things that have like the binding where like this one has a little corner missing, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a YA paperback from the early nineties, you know, community or local colleges, ladies, but it's all right. We'll be all right. (laughs) So it's one of, it's one of those things where it's like these, these books, people are jacking up the price because of this Netflix series, which makes me happy Uh, that people are enjoying it. But at the same time, you're screwing up my five-year plan. So (laughs) back your shit up. And bring your prices down. Okay, so I had to look it up. So the value of $4, the current value of $4 in 1989 is about $8.76 today in 2021. So it's almost, it's almost, it's basically doubled. Yeah. Yeah. And Which that's eight dollars would be a bargain for a book at this point. At no? this point, yeah. Like I <laughs> right. said, when when I did right after Christmas, I did a big, big bulk buy of R.L. Stein books, and I spent a hundred dollars. I spent one hundred dollars on Fear Street books, and I walked away with twenty seven books wow. for a hundred dollars. You know, and like I said, now. You you look on uh, like eBay, you look on Etsy, all these places are like, oh, you know, like on Etsy, there'll be a picture of all of them. And it's like, oh, pick pick one five starting at five dollars. And you go and look and the ones that starting at five dollars are not even R.L. Stein books. And when you click on the R.L. Stein book, twenty five, thirty five, forty dollars. And I'm yeah. like, that's no, you're just you're just being a dick at this point. Like, I understand everybody's trying to make money, but that that's it's just a little ridiculous. So. That's my rant on on Fear Street books. I'll still collect them. I'm basically halting and I'm waiting for I'm waiting for shit to calm down. Because obviously right now we are in that 90s nostalgia is like so hot right now. Like because, you know, when Stranger Things first started, it was like the 80s. Like the 80s were so hot. We're right. now in that like 90s nostalgia is so yeah. cool right now thing. So I'm kind of you know. Which is so weird, you know, because yeah. it, it's so strange to see that happening because it's like now I now I kind of understand where like my mom or like Jeffrey, you know, when when we when we're watching like when Stranger Things first premiered, what really got a lot of people I think excited about it was it actually looked like the eighties, not like what people think the eighties look like. Uh, because for so long you get that like neon world where everybody's got posters of like Madonna and Cindy Lauper and there's like Rubik's cube, you know, like that wasn't what the eighties looked like. It looked like that ugly naughty pine and those flowered, you know, and ta- you know, flowered sofa and fucking tab. You know, like, and just that kind of brown world, I, I feel that, like, Stranger Things does a really good job of. But now, that's kind of what I'm experiencing with watching, and we'll, I, we can get into a little bit of that, you know, when we when we talk about the film. But that, like, 90s, 
like I'm like this isn't what the 90s look like what are these people talking <laughs> you know we're seeing like our childhoods become these idealized mm-hmm. in the same way that I feel like the 80s always gets like that's not what the 80s look like and now it's like the same thing with this it's like wow this is like weird neon 90s world that I don't remember <laughs> um but Anybody like, uh, well, I don't know. Do we want to, should we start the, the, the fight school now of like <laughs> talking? Cause I'm curious what, like, cause Jackie, like, you know, collecting the books. Awesome. You know, a really cool endeavor. I'm, I am sorry that it's getting more difficult. It does make me excited. I hope people are actually reading them and not just like, Oh, I'm going to sell this for $500 yeah, in the future. Exactly. But like, you know, why, like what, like drew you to fear street? Like, why did you like these stories? Why did you want to collect them? Um, and then I guess Marissa will take counterpoint and why she doesn't like them, but we'll get, you know, <laughs> I, I can absolutely say, so I have loved the horror genre since I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, I've talked about my Stockholm syndrome with the Freddy poster that my brother had. Um, but, uh, but I was also the kid that wasn't allowed to watch horror. And if right. my parents said, no, you can't watch that thing on TV. I said, okay. And I didn't watch it. So this was my way of being able to scratch that itch. You know, it's like, I want the, the thriller and the mystery. And like, sometimes there is a supernatural element in these stories and sometimes there's not. So this was my way of being able to get it. I can say that when I was reading this, I, I never, I never read Goosebumps. To me, like Goosebumps happened but I was already too old for Goosebumps or I just, I I never, I never paid attention to it. So for me, Fear Street was my, this is how I can have an age appropriate horror movie. You know, my mom had no problem taking me to the library. We go to the kids section. That's where all of these Fear Street books were, you know, Fear Street books were available in my school library. And what makes me actually really happy is the ones that were always in the school libraries were hardcover. And when I bought my bulk, I actually have a few hardcovers, so I know they came from... One of them actually has, like, the card catalog little... Oh, I love that. Oh, that's cool. Um, but yeah, this was this was the way that I could safely get hard. It's the reason why I also loved and still, you know, own all the DVDs for Are You Afraid of the Dark? That was the kid-safe horror that I was allowed to see. Because, again, I was the goody two-shoes, and if my parents said, no, you can't see that, or no, you're not going to watch that, I listened, because I... I'm afraid of my dad still. So <laughs> my dad, my dad is a big scare. I never got hit. I was not a kid that was spanked, but my dad has a, a big booming yell. So yeah, uh, that, that I think that's part of the big reason that I was drawn to it in the first place. And then, like I said, I'm just a, a junkie for the nostalgia. So to be able to dip back into, you know, reading the books about, you know, this is a time before cell phones. So you know, you look at it today, all, half of these Fear Street books would be a four pages long because somebody picks up their cell phone and the day is <laughs> problem solved or right. whatever. So it's just, it's one of those, like, you know, when you're a kid, it seems like, it seems like it's simpler times, simpler times and happier days because you don't know what it's like really to be an adult. So to me, my brain goes back to those simpler time and happier days of the nineties when, you know. I didn't yeah. have to before adulting before yeah. yeah before responsibility you know when you're just trying to like you know see if these people are gonna make it out of this house or yeah. you know which of their friends which it's always the one that like you know is either super nice or the most unassuming one is the demon or is the murderer mm-hmm. but you're just still reading it because even though you know the ending you're like 
which one's it going to be? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Marissa, what, what are your thoughts on Fear Street? So did you, you read a few of the books like in preparation or? So I have, I have read a few. When I was a kid, yeah. I did dabble. I dabbled. Yeah. I was more of a Christopher Pike gal because I felt Same. like he was the, the dirtier, like more scandalous of the two. But um, I have a love hate, and and here's why. And I feel like somebody should cue the Debbie Downer music here from SNL because I'm about to shit all over it. And I have, I'm sorry, Jackie. <laughs> I have nothing. We I have, if we have learned nothing. It means we have learned nothing. Uh, your your Debbie Downer opinion on the shit I like means absolutely nothing. And you know I'm going to keep true. liking it. So I don't. I, think I, means- I let you. I let you have your say. And then oh. I say, I love you regardless. Absolutely. And then I go back to the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Same train. And I yeah. love you for your love of this series. I think I think it's really sweet and nostalgic. And I can't wait to like mooch and read some of them again. So nothing but love, girl. But um, I have to say, I, I found, I remember as a kid being super excited to going to like the book club sale, the Scholastic. And yeah, I totally stole a book, a book marker too. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I definitely, I definitely was an, uh, like an inner city kid of color. And so picking up fear street was just more of the want, want let down of watching like a John Hughes movie. It wasn't for us. There was no representation. There was no meaningful, you know, look at our lives. So it was always hard to relate to the burbs, which is a problem that any, I'm sure tons of marginalized people all over the world have. But so that's my first, like RL Stein, it would have been nice to see a little more diversity, maybe a little more, you know, uh, representation in these very white, very suburban middle-class books. My other big issue though, is really the, 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 the lack of feminism and the lack of interesting protagonists uh, as women, because I felt like I did a little research. I know that's surprising, but I did a little research. And I find that most of the criticisms of these books as maybe misogynistic or not really moving the conversation forward for women in horror hold true because really it's, it's all about these very generic gender coded characters who are expected to be like the, every female in fear street is boy crazy and mm-hmm. a cheerleadery type or, and they fit into these really boring tropes like the pesky younger sister or the nerd or the outcast or like, you know, it takes to me, it was like a sad evolution of the eighties, early nineties, uh, John Hughes uh, extravaganza of tropes. And, and it just took that and it made lots of money, right? That's what it was to me. It was very much a, a ploy to continue very generic tropes. And for me, one thing I do love about the series is that they are still considered banned books in certain arenas. They make people clutch their pearls and anything that makes somebody <laughs> clutch their pearls is for me. So, I mean, I, I would never shit on it too much because I love that they were banned. I love that they were horror for kids, but I do feel like looking back, it would be nice to have like, you know, maybe a couple streets down was like, you know, you know, a bad street in the bad part of town that was like, you know, full of ethnic kids and they were all on an adventure that poor kids go on. So that would have been really exciting for someone like me growing up. But yeah, other than that, I find them delightful. (laughs) Yeah. And I I can't, and I can't argue with that. There's no counterpoint to that at all, because I think of the OG series, there might be two or three where, a, a person of color is your main character out of, out of like the OG 50 there, there may be two or three and that's it uh, that, that you have a character that, that is the main character that is your protagonist. Yeah. It is very far and few between. So I can, I cannot argue that. And that's a very good analogy. Like it is like the John Hughes, like it's a very, very snowy white uh, suburban. I get that. And, and yeah, there is no, 
there is no argument to that. So yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that that makes sense given like it. The, I feel it's like R.L. Stein, you know, because we're going back, you know, to the eighties. So he obviously was around for like the sla- you know, the beginning of like I don't know what year he was born, but I, you know, I'm sure like psycho you know text chainsaw massacre and then the birth of like the slasher it's like i am sure he said they're going there's got to be a way i can take this extremely popular billion dollar industry and like make my own billion dollar industry out of like directing it right at children because that is what it, they all feel like you know just some you know b movie slasher film you know a lot of them have that vibe there's a lot there's other things going on in them obviously besides you know slasher the stories but you know it kind of plays with all those same genres and it just reflects exactly you know your point what was going on in the movies at the time went right back into those books and sort of i think we're priming if you weren't already because see my my relationship again is backwards because you know i was watching the exorcist and like you know halloween and the texas chainsaw massacre you know before i was 10 and you know so these books I, I mean, I, I was reading Stephen King in eight and nine, you know, so it's like I was so far beyond, you know, these books, but I loved reading them because they felt like a quick horror film, you know, like you could just plow through them in a day, um, which I did. I read a lot of these. And again, I'm much more of a Christopher Pike fan. I only because I think his stuff, he just was doing something different, you know, like, you know, especially with like the last vampire series. I love Sita, Sita stand. Um, see to Stan, I mean, you know, so it's like, I, I, I read like all of those books and then some of the fear street books I did pick up like the cheerleader series. I, I did enjoy that. Um, the R.L. Stein, I have Halloween night and Halloween night two, which I always really liked, which are not part of fear street. I think they're part of what you were talking about earlier. Like either that point the horror, point horror. Or, yeah. yeah, it's like the scholastic YA fiction, uh, which gosh, did I get these off eBay? Something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're just kind of all, I don't, I don't remember what my freaking point was. I think it's just that I, they were kind of, uh, I was beyond like reading them, you know? So it's like, it was more just to go back and read them for fun. And it's been interesting picking them up now, uh, because they, you know, they have the, um, ebooks so i rent them from the library and i just like i've been reading them you know in preparation for this conversation i'm like wow i forgot how fast they move and yeah how like kind of cookie cutter they are for slasher films so so i do want to ask a question yeah but like i i don't know i don't know if it's a fair question because uh, and the reason i bring this up is so recently i read a book called the house in the cerulean sea and it's like just it's like the most charming book that I have read in a long time. It's it's very it's a very charming book. But the author, apparently, his name is TJ Clune, is getting some backlash because the basis from his story actually came from uh, an issue that I believe it was in Alaska. There was indigenous people were basically being put in foster homes. And that's kind of the basis, not the basis of the story, but it is where the idea from the story came from about these, these, these children who are basically the other being put into these foster homes and the reaction of the town and how they feel about them and things like that. And so basically he's getting some backlash because people are asking, is this your story to be telling? And I believe one of his responses to that was, well, that's why I said it in this fantasy world of magical children, because 
you know, it, his his story cannot come from an indigenous person because he is a white guy. So he was saying that he put it in this fantasy realm so he could tell a story. Would it be like if if R.L. Stein added more people of color, did add more of an inner city element, do you think that he would get backlash for being a suburban white guy writing these stories that maybe he didn't have, you know, the authority to be telling? I think maybe at the time, maybe not, but I think maybe at the time it would not be probably as blown up as if he was, to, if he were to do it now for sure. Um, I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, the, the, the rule of writing that, you know, all writers hear is that you write what you know. Right. And so he, as this like, you know, presumably suburban white man is probably just writing what he knows. Um, and th- those are the kinds of stories that he's telling. Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting now when we think about, you know, because we, we're always thinking about nostalgia from a critical lens of now, is right. that, you know, he, it, it, it's almost, it almost works to his favor to not have had those kinds of characters because now he can't be canceled for trying to tell a quote unquote, Asian story or a quote unquote, you know, um, BIPOC, BIPOC story, whatever, like, Mm -hmm. and it's always fascinating. And that's something that like, I always go back and forth with Jackie. Like I always go, I'm always struggling a little bit because what it comes down to is that if there are, who, who are the people making the movies and if they, there's a, always that fine line between like appreciation and appropriation, right? Mm-hmm. So like, and, and it's always that fine line because like on one level, I do want to believe that all, all performers can play all parts because at the end of the day, like it, uh, gay can play straight, straight can play gay. But at the same time, if you're also telling a story that is like specifically uniquely a queer story, like why not have like queer people? I, I, I'm, right. I'm thinking about this a why lot. Why not have them in the room? Why not have them in the room? Yeah. It's a very double-edged sword because you want the inclusivity, but you also want, you want it to be appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, and the other thing though, is that if his, if his uh, books at the time had been, you know, if he had put more characters of color, queer characters, you know, better, like if he would have tried the other side of culture would be going, you know, it was problematic and flawed, but he tried, you know, so it's like, that's what's kind of funny about questions like this is that we really, we really don't, I mean, and for every argument there, somebody will say, you know, the opposite or somebody will, there will be somebody out there that will vehemently defend, you know, the other side. So I feel like if he had tried and if his, if if it had been more then maybe we would look back on it more like, well, you know, he tried, it wasn't great. And there would be critique, well-deserved of course, critique yeah, uh, because he probably would have gotten it wrong. Um, you know, because so much of that is that imagining, you know, what, uh, you know, I mean, if, if it, well, again, I don't know enough about Arlstein to say like he'd write stereotypically, but he may have, but then it would have been like, but there'd be somebody out there going like, I, okay, we were just watching last night, the, the history of the sitcom on CNN. And they were interviewing like all these different people. It was, there was a whole segment about like people of color on TV and sitcoms. And so like one of them was like Margaret Cho with all American girl and how it was kind of like this massive, like failure, you know, the, the show, but it was like, for some people, 
they look back and go, that was the start. That was the first time I saw somebody that looked like me, you know? So, so there are books like, you know, there are stories that like we remember fondly and nostalgically like I do of queer. There, there are definitely like queer early queer stories that are, you know, again, not great. Gave me a lot of fucked up thoughts about what it meant to be gay or meant to be queer. Um, but I still have like a fondness for them. Cause I'm like, well, they tried <laughs> and at least there was yeah. something for me to read. So I feel like, you know, it's kind of all over the place. Marissa, I, I, you look like you were thinking. About it. <laughs> like, I was. No, I completely agree with both of you, Joe and Josh. I think that's such a good point. And Jackie, you're right. It is a very double-edged sword. I think it all boils down to, I know this word makes a lot of people cringe these days, but the privilege of being in the majority versus being in the, a minority. Because right. to me, it's like, if I'm going to write a character you 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 bet your your buns that I'm going to look for someone who is going to be uh, you know whether it's an LGBTQ character whether it's a BIPOC character you know but I I think back then yeah I think he could have very easily gotten away with maybe adding a few more diverse characters and not been accused of doing anything I think unfortunately in the 80s and early 90s they did it wrong in in so many ways like when i did see characters that looked or seemed like me they were never very flattering and you guys had i'm sure the exact same issue uh, you know with your coming from where you were coming from but i think the difference is when someone makes a movie with all white people nobody blinks an eye when someone makes a movie with all black people or all lgbtq characters or all it's still oh that's for them not for the, right. the majority and I, I still, to this day, continue to see so much whitewashing. I mean, again, like, I just am floored by how quickly that they're okay with casting white people to play um, characters who were people of color and all that. So I think it all just boils down to being in the majority and having that privilege of not having to worry about it. And when it comes to, I would love to see a day where it didn't matter what someone's sexual identity is when they're cast in a role, but we are so far from that. So I think until we get to that point of true equity, we have to continue to be very careful about letting people portray the role in a way that is fair and true to the, to, to those people. But I don't know. That's just, that's just yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's messy. I mean, we're not, we're certainly, this has been, I mean, we've been having these discussions in pop culture, uh, you know, at least for the last decade, obviously longer for different genre, but like really discussing, you know, the function of film or the function of, of the written word is like, you know, social justice minded or, you know, inclusivity minded. Uh, I, that's, it's still, it's a new, you know, it's a new conversation. So, uh, I love it. I love that. Like, again, we can all get together and talk about fear street, which some people are going to be like, I read those books when I was 10, 11. Why are we thinking so? But, but it, you know, that influenced a whole, you know, generation two, three, I mean, probably, you know, many, the books are still around. People are still discovering them. Um, there are plenty of kids out there that probably can't, aren't allowed to watch a horror movie, but they can read one. And, you know, so they're still out there informing, uh, consciousness to some, to some degree. So, and obviously a whole new world will open up with, you know, the Netflix films. So, well, I, I do think that's a perfect way because say what you will about the films, in my humble opinion, they did a great job yeah. of blow, blowing it open in regards to diversity and representation on camera. Like yeah. I, I was, was pumped, especially because it was marketed towards younger kids. I think this is a good step forward in that yeah. very arena. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, we're going to take a real quick break and we will be back to dive into the new Netflix trilogy uh, of the Fear Street adaptations. All right, take it. 
Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. (sighs) Um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. Hi-o! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Hello, dear listener. So we are having such a great time chatting with the Jersey Ghouls that we have decided that this episode is going to be split in half. So we thank you so much for listening to the first half, and we will be back next week to do a deep dive into the Fear Street Saga series on Netflix with the Ghouls. We just adore them, and we, you know, we're catching up, and, uh, you know, conversation got very, very big. So we thought, hey, we'll make two episodes out of this so as always thank you for listening and tune in next week for the rest of our wonderful chat with the jersey ghouls marissa and jackie fright school is produced by joshua napier and joe farron our intro was edited by davy boy productions our logo was designed by jamie channel guzman episodes are edited and engineered by joe farron fright school is produced in terrifyingly beautiful san diego california listening to the Geekscape Network.